The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Well, good morning. If you've got your Bibles, let's go ahead and grab them. Uh, Turn and open to uh, Revelation chapter 1, if you will. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, go ahead and raise your hand on up. Uh, we've got uh, some of those coming around. If you don't have a Bible of your very own, I'd invite you to keep that one uh, with you. So go ahead and put your hand up and open those up to Revelation uh, chapter 1. It's so good to have you guys this morning. My name's Eric. Uh, if you're here for the first time this morning, uh, uh, we started the church about two years ago in September 2011, and uh, God has just been doing uh, some crazy things in us and through us and uh, despite of us. But let me just be the first one to welcome you here, and thanks for, uh, thanks for being. I, I remember even before uh, the church started, um, I, had these, I had this dream or, or this hope. Uh, this hope of what what could be and this hope of what should be and and it was almost like there was this this holy like discontentment in my heart have you ever have you ever had that have you ever have you ever had or or put your hope in something have you ever kind of looked at your situation and said okay this is not right this is not good there's there needs to be something more than this and and have you ever had like this dream of something that could be we call that hope. We call that hope. And when, when faith and hope collide, something just begins to stir in our hearts. Something begins to stir in our emotions when it comes to hope and faith. Uh, Romans 8.24, it says this. It says, now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with Patience. The thing about hope is that it's something that's not quite yet. You understand what I'm saying? Like the thing about hope is that it's something that is not, not quite yet. In, in Hebrews 11.1 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and a conviction of things not seen. So hope is something that we have not seen or hope is something that is not yet, but faith is an assurance that this thing that we hope in will come. You you following me with that? So there's this hope and then there's this faith. And, And here's the deal. When I look at our society, when I look at our culture, there's, there's so much discontentment. Spiritual discontentment, emotional discontent, physical discontentment. There's brokenness, there's depression, there's heartache, there's, there's sadness. There's so much discontentment in our world. Have you guys experienced this? And so I look at our society, I look at our culture, and, and here's the deal. Is the Bible is going to say that brokenness and this discontentment is a result of sin. And now let me put it to you as general as I can. Whenever we put our hope, whenever we put our faith, whenever we put our trust, whenever we put this longing in our lives in anything other than Christ, in anything other than God, it's always going to fall short. It's always going to leave us flat. And so I look at the church and so many in the church and so many out of the church, they're living their lives with a hope in so many other things besides Jesus Christ. 
When I look at the people in the church, when I look at our city, when I look at our neighbors, when I look at just so many people, they have their hope in money and they have their hope in government. They have their hope in economics. They put their hope in their savings account. They put their hope in their health. They put their hope in their kids. They put their hope in their jobs. Are you, are you tracking with that? And so when I look at lives, when I look at people, there's hope in so many other things. And in the end, it leads to frustration. It leads to doubt. It leads to failure. It leads to sin. And sin, it leads to death. But look at me. Because there is hope that lasts. There is a hope that goes beyond circumstance. Look in Revelation chapter 1. We've been going through the series called Gospel-Centered Church. This is the last message of this series. If you want to go back online and listen to any of these, these sermons, you're more than happy to do that. Uh, it's at thelifepointconnection.com. But we're going to end the series with hope today. In Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 4, we'll pick it up from there. It says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings on the earth. Now that just said that Jesus Christ was, Jesus Christ is, and Jesus Christ is to come. And he rules over all kings. That's, that kings is not capitalized. It's kings on the earth. Listen to what it says next. To him who loves us. So the king above all kings, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come, he says to him, he, he loves us and has freed us from our sin by his blood. Now, I want to I reiterate something that I started last week, but it's this idea that God doesn't just love the ambiguous us. All right, we love to say God loves us, but let me, let me be very honest. God loves you, very particularly you. He loves you right where you are. Not someday when you clean yourself up, not someday when you finally start going to church or start doing this or stop doing that or uh, stop smoking, stop cussing, whatever, whatever it is you think that you need to accomplish before God loves you. I want to tell you, he loves you right here and now today. Eric, how can you say that? Because he has freed us from our sins by his blood. How do I know that Jesus doesn't just love some future version of us. I want to tell you that as much as I can. He doesn't love some future you. He loves you right here now because he has shed his blood for our sins. And the cross of Christ is proof that he absolutely loves you. That he came when we were broken, while we were sinners, Christ came to us. God came to us in his incarnation. He lived the perfect life that you and I cannot live. 
And the Bible says is that our sin has separated us from God. And in that separation, we need a savior because there's nothing you can do. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing corporately that we can do to somehow mend our relationship with God. We need God to intervene. And he does so through Jesus Christ. Now, sin is not just something that we do. It's not just something that we say. It's in our nature. That's why we have a prone nature to walk away from God, to love everything other than God. And God says, you need me and I'm coming. I think the reason, the reason why we don't see much transformation within church is because somehow today we failed to talk about sin. We failed to talk about a separation between us and God by the way we think, by the things that we do, by knowing the good that we ought to do and not do it. And we failed in our churches today because we don't talk about that. Because here's the deal. Everybody just still thinks they're pretty. Right? I mean, we like people who stand up here and say, oh, you're pretty, you're good, you're great. Let me tell you, the Bible says outside of the cross, you're not pretty. You're not. And so, and so I want to tell you that in Christ, in the cross, you're holy and perfect and blameless. But outside of him, you're not good. And so we need a savior. And Jesus is that savior. He came, listen to this. He came and he lived a perfect life. He was betrayed by one of his own boys. Anybody ever been betrayed? Betrayed with a kiss. He was arrested. He was beaten. He was tried. He was mocked. They blindfolded him and punched him in the face and said, prophesy, who hit you this time? He had the beard ripped from his face, his skin ripped from his back. Hands and feet nailed and crucified to the cross. Do you guys realize that's what we deserve? That's not pretty. And Jesus says, I do it for you. I love you. I did it so that your sins could be atoned for. I'm going to make it right by the sacrifice of my body, my blood. And so Jesus Christ, by a single offering, made it right. We don't. We don't bring anything to the table but love. Listen to what it says. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, has made us a kingdom of priests. To to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. So why would God save us? Why would God come and, and absorb such a punishment, the wrath of God? Why would God, why would Jesus come do that? It's because so he would receive the glory and the dominion forever and ever. And so Jesus comes and he says, it's for my glory. It's my namesake. It's my renown. It's my worship that everything comes through and worship. So you don't play a part in this. Now I want you to see this talking about hope. Look in verse nine. Did you guys know that John was the apostle that Jesus loved? That's what he was referred to. You heard that before? The apostle 
whom Jesus loved. So we have to get this picture in our minds that John is the one that Jesus loves. Now listen to this, verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Christ, I was on an island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Now I want you to see this. John is the apostle that Jesus loved. And all of a sudden he finds himself on an island, secluded, away, on account of the word of God. So this is, this is what happens. John goes and proclaims the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. There's no way other to God, not through a sacrifice, not through your own good works, not through your own good behavior. The only hope that we have is, is in the life, the death, and the resurrection that it really happened of Jesus Christ. And he goes around and he proclaims that to city after city after city. And dudes don't like that. Right? So what do they do? They beat him up. They beat him up, they punish him, uh, they, they persecute him, and then they kick him out. And he's all alone. They exile him to this island called Patmos. And there he is down with his face in the dirt, having no hope, no lasting, nothing in him that excites him. And he's just there in the dirt, exiled on an island all alone. The one who Jesus loved. And I don't know how the prosperity guys deal with that. But that's what it says. He's exiled. Now listen to this. In the middle of his exile, after being beaten up, look in verse 17. He says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. Some of you here today, you need to hear that. You feel alone. You feel beaten up. Exiled. Jesus comes and puts a hand on his shoulder. He says, fear not. I am the first and the last the living one. I died, but behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys to death and Hades, death and hell. I hold the keys to those right there for these things that you've seen. Those that are those that are to take place after this. And so right away, John, beaten, bruised, face to the ground, falls like a dead man. Jesus comes over, puts his hand on his shoulder and says, don't be afraid. I'm the first, I'm the last, I was dead, but now I'm alive. And I'm going to be alive forevermore. And I hold the keys to everything, to life, to death, to heaven, to hell. I hold it all in my hands. And so he sees Jesus in the middle of it all, broken. He asks him to write these things down and and God begins to give him uh, this vision of the churches, the churches that are in Asia. All right, look at what it says. Because he's got to deal with 
If you're following the headings, it says he's got to deal with the church in Ephesus. And I'll just briefly go through these. In the church of Ephesus, there's false, uh, false prophets, there's false apostles. It's those guys, it, listen, it's those guys that come in the church that like to argue about doctrine of this, or doctrine of that, or this here, or this, that. And there's just an argument. And, and they're all arguing about doctrine, and they're all arguing about different stuff, or different thoughts, or different means. And they're arguing, and it says that they've lost their first love. And then he's got to deal with the church in Smyrna that doesn't have any money. They're all poor. They're self-pitied. They don't have any money, yet Jesus calls them wealthy. Which, which means there must be a wealth that supersedes money, right? And so he's there and he says they're wealthy, but they're really poor. They're really impoverished. They don't really have anything. But keep the faith. Some of you will be imprisoned. Some of you will die. Hold strong. Okay? Then he's got to deal with the church at Pergamum. Again, it's got false teachers. He's got the church in Thyatira who just want to simply get together and talk about their feelings all the time and uh, drink decaf coffee. Right? And, and then you got to deal with the church in Sardis where everybody's old. Everybody's dead. They come in. They sit in the same seats. Right? They don't do anything. They're cul-de-sacs for the kingdom of God, right? They're dead as dead can be. Did you know 80% of churches have either plateaued or declining? 80%. And so if you think about that, as far as an institution goes, you think, okay, well, they're not organizing things well. They're not doing things well. So institutionally, church is plateaued or declining. But I think of church, when I think of church, I think of the believers that sit in the seats. And so if you translate that equation, 80% of the people that sit in the seats are actually plateaued or declining in their faith. I'm just saying. And so he's got to deal with this church. Nobody's moving forward. Nobody's going anywhere. And then he's got to deal with the church in Philadelphia, where occasionally you'll find a loving church. It sounds like the church is pretty loving. And then he's got to deal with the church in Laodicea. It's just simply lukewarm. Nobody's excited. Nobody's moving. Nobody's doing anything. All right, you can't get them hot. You can't get them cold. Nobody's fired up. Nobody's actually moving forward. Nobody's taking their faith seriously. Everyone's just lukewarm, doing nothing. Not hot, not cold. They're all rich, doing nothing, driving around in their minivans, going to soccer practice, doing this, doing that. You know, they want to do everything but kingdom work. They want to do everything about chasing God. They want to do everything except the message or the mission or the kingdom. They're just so lukewarm. And so he's got to deal with this church. Now, let me ask you. Chapter one, is it encouraging or is it discouraging? Discouraging. When you look at the church, when you look at chapter two, is it encouraging or discouraging? It's discouraging. Chapter three, encouraging or discouraging? Discouraging. And so up to this point, follow me, it's all earthly scenes. It's all what's going on around me. Now listen, it is so easy for us to get discouraged. 
It's so easy to look around us and say, oh man, there's no hope in that. There's no hope in that. It's so easy to get overwhelmed. It's so easy to fall into depression because so many people, they look at the the earthly scenes. They look at their life and they're discouraged. They're discouraged in their jobs, in their income, checking and saying, they look at the earthly scenes and they're discouraged. They look at the government, it's discouraging. They look at the economy, it's discouraging. They look at health, it's discouraging. They look at their relationships and it's all discouraging. It's so easy to get discouraged. When you look around you, so many, you find yourself exiled on an island, beaten up, discouraged time and time and time again. If you just look at the things around you, it's so easy to get depressed. And so at this point in the text, there's little hope. At this point, it's not very encouraging. But something happens in chapter 4. Because it changes from an earthly scene to a heavenly scene. Look at what happens. Chapter 4. Pick it up in verse 2. At once, I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. So what's the primary piece of furniture in chapter 4? The throne. All right, so now all of a sudden, we've got something to get excited about because we see a throne. John sees a throne 196 times in the Bible. We see that the throne is for kings and priests and rulers and authorities and leaders and soldiers. The throne is what we see one on. And who sits on the throne? Jesus. And so if we just simply look at earthly scenes, it's so easy to get discouraged, to get depressed. But in chapter 4, John sees the throne. And Jesus seated on the throne. Now look in verse 8. And four creatures, each of them with six wings full of eyes all around within, said day and night, never cease to say, holy, holy Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whatever living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him who seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, God. Worthy are you, Lord. And God, receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. And by your will, they existed and created. So Jesus is on the throne, ruling and reigning. I want you to imagine John in this situation. Imagine it. He's there, exiled, beaten up, on an island, taking a beating. He's a church leader, church elder. There's no no church around him now. He can't preach, he can't teach, he can't heal, he can't proclaim the gospel. He's so discouraged. But where does his hope come from? 
Where does an encouragement come from? It's only through seeing Jesus high and exalted upon the throne, ruling and reigning over all kings, all nations, all tongues, all tribes, all people groups. Everything goes to the throne. Everything worships Jesus at the throne. Everything comes from Jesus on the throne. And if that doesn't fire us up, I don't know what will. And so we see Jesus ruling from his throne and everything is worshiping him. You know what we desperately lack? Is understanding Jesus as exaltated king of everything. So many people, when they talk about Jesus, hey, you love Jesus? Oh, yeah, I love Jesus. Hey, you know Jesus? Yeah, I know Jesus. Wasn't he the the kid from Galilee? Wasn't he the humble peasant? Didn't he, didn't he just come and just suffer a lot? He didn't really accomplish anything but suffer and serve and give. He, isn't he that peasant that wore sandals and didn't really have a wherewithal to really accomplish anything? Isn't that the Jesus that you know? Jesus came in his incarnation. He came humbly. He came to serve. He came to love. He came to sacrifice himself upon a cross so that you and I can live. But look at me. Because then he rose. Come on. Then he rose. He did not stay dead. He rose and he ascended to the heavens and he sits on the throne and he is high and he's exalted and he's worthy of our praise. That's the Jesus that we need to give our lives to. It's only when we understand this Jesus, this resurrected Jesus, this fully glorified high and exalted Jesus, are we only going to be able to say, that's the Jesus I can give my sin to. That's the Jesus I can live my life for. That's the Jesus I can run after. That's the Jesus that I need in my life. That's the Jesus because he rules and he reigns. That's why we sing. That's why we preach. That's why we proclaim. That's why we live, guys. And so Jesus has to be exalted in our lives. Because listen, when we look at our situation, we don't see hope. When we look at the earthly scenes, we don't see hope. When we look at stuff around us, we don't, we don't see hope. We don't see promises. We don't look at our sin and just say, okay, well, I should do better. I should try harder. We don't celebrate ourselves. We celebrate the resurrected, high and exalted King of Kings Lord of lords who was and is and is to come. And he sits on a throne ruling and reigning forevermore. Forevermore. And so many were deceived. Because we look for hope in church. Philosophies. Philosophies of ministry, programs. If I, could just, if I could just get into this program, then I could have some hope. If I could just get into this thing, then I could have some hope. If I could just find a relationship that will finally soothe my soul, then there will be hope. If I could finally get a job that pays me enough money, then I'll have some hope. If I, listen, the earthly scenes has no hope. 
Because it's fading, it's fleeting, and it will not last. And so if we don't see Jesus on his throne, high and exalted, ruling and reigning, every tongue, language, nation bowing down to Jesus, then we'll think that, that SUVs are the answer. We'll just simply attach Jesus' name to it. We'll think that money's the answer. We'll think our kids, we'll think our 401ks are the answer. Oh, Jesus, give me a good 401k. It's what we believe. Because we're looking for hope in that stuff. Let me ask you, where's your hope? Honestly. When you look at your life, where's your hope fall? Our hope as followers of Jesus, is only in the resurrected Jesus Christ. My fear is, if we don't see Jesus in this light, if we don't see him exalted, we'll cease to worship. We'll cease to give our lives to it. We don't see Jesus big enough to inspire us. We don't see Jesus big enough to give our sin to. We don't see Jesus big enough to give our marriages to. If we don't see Jesus in this light, we don't see Jesus big enough to give our lives to. We don't see Jesus big enough to give our money to. We don't see Jesus big enough to give our legacy to. If we don't see Jesus exalted on his throne, then he's not big enough to handle my situation. And so we don't pray and we don't sing. We don't worship. We don't long for him because we think Jesus has done his deal and he's done. No, he's ruling and he's reigning. He wants to know you. Jesus is big enough to follow. Because listen, there will be days that things around you just won't be enough. There will be days that you just want to quit. There will be days you want to throw in the towel. There will be days you want to quit your job, your relationships. You want to just quit. And the only thing that will move you forward when you find yourself beaten up, exiled on an island, alone, no one's around you, no one's going to encourage you. When you find yourself beaten and bruised face down in the dirt, your only hope comes from seeing Jesus Christ putting his hand on your shoulder and say, I am over all things. It's the only thing that gets us up in the morning. John has everything against him. But I want to ask you, is Jesus your highest treasure? Is Jesus what you're after? Is Jesus your risen Lord? Because that's the only place that hope comes from. Now, if you continue through the book, we get this picture of Jesus on his throne. Whenever there's misery, whenever there's pain, whenever there's suffering, whenever there's heartache, when things are hard, when things are blessed, when things are cursed, when things are good, it, it, we always look to Christ. Listen, if we don't get this, we don't win the war for our families.
If we don't get this, we don't win the war for Life Point Church. If we don't get Jesus on the throne, then we don't win the war against our sin, guys. If we don't get this, we don't win the war for what's going on around us. We don't win the war for the city. We don't win the war for church planning. We don't win the war for evangelism. We don't win the war for anything because we have this small, fine picture of Jesus. But he's bigger than that. And he's better than that. And he's the giver of life. And he sits and he rules and he reigns. So many people, they just want more truth. Eric, tell me something I don't know. Give me some more knowledge. I think knowledge is the answer. I think knowledge is my hope. So why don't you stand up there and tell me some stuff that I don't know. Use some big words or something. We like that. And we're looking for hope and knowledge and stuff. Let me tell you something. It doesn't come from that. It's only by seeing Jesus on his throne that we sing. Because he's bigger and he's better. Now, Jesus, all the way through the book, rules and reigns all the way up until Revelation 19. Go ahead and flip over. In Revelation 19, Jesus does something. What does he do? He gets up. That'll preach. He gets up. Look look at it with me. Look in verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder. I love that. I don't even know what that is. I hear the sound. It's like like water and thunder. Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and let us exult and let's give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. That's, that's the image of the groom coming to the bride and taking her home. He says, I prepare a place for you. You're mine. I'm yours. I'm coming to get you. He comes and he takes us, his bride, and has made herself ready. It is granted to her to clothe her with fine linen. Bright and pure. Skip down, look in verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. That will preach there, guys. I saw a white horse, and one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. That's crowns. And he has the name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. Listen to this. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, which to strike down the nations, which will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of fury, the wrath of God, the Almighty, on his robe and on his thigh. He has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let me ask you something. How does Jesus look in this picture? Weak? Humble? 
Does he look like a peasant? No, he's tough. And he's coming, right? He gets up off his throne and he's coming. Right? What's he wearing? White, dipped in blood. What's he going to do? Fight. He's going to fight. He's going to make war. Listen, when someone shows up to a fight wearing white, dipped in blood, you're in trouble. That dude's tough. Right? When you wear white, you're not even planning on getting dirty. You're just coming in to make war, right? What's he riding? A white horse. Come on now. Right? He's riding a white horse, dressed in white, sword, dipped in blood, ready to roll, ready to make war. He's got the posse in his back. What's it say on his leg? King of kings, Lord of lords, tattooed up. He got tapped down his leg, dressed in white, ready to roll, on a horse, ultimate fighting champion, Jesus. Now listen, he gets up, he goes to make war, he's riding in, he's coming to fight, he's got a sword, he's got the posse behind him, right? They're all on horses, they're all on white, you can almost hear the bass drop. Here he comes, right? He's getting ready to go in the cage. He's coming to make war. Now listen... That's the Jesus we worship. That's the Jesus we serve. That's the Jesus that's big enough to give my sin to. He's not a weak Jesus. He's strong and he's high and he's exalted and he sits on his throne and he rules and he reigns and he's coming again, guys. That's the hope that's in us. That he's coming to get us. He's coming to bring us home. That's where our hope lies. It's not in our earthly scenes. We don't see it, but the hope that is seen is not hope. Faith and a hope that he's coming again. And he's coming to get us. That's the Jesus we serve. That's the Jesus that's big enough to give my life to. That's the Jesus that's big enough to give my kids to. That's the Jesus that I pray to. That's the Jesus that I long for. That's the Jesus that's worthy of going out for and proclaiming to the nations that he's not dead. He's not a peasant. He's not, he's not just beaten and broken, but he's high and exalted. Guys, he's risen. And he rules. He's coming again. And so I will plead with you today. If we don't see Jesus in this light He won't be big enough for your problems. He won't be big enough to give your sin to. Because the Jesus that I serve, the Jesus of the Bible, he is big enough. And he is strong enough. And he will put a hand on your shoulder when you are down in the dirt. And may we get a glimpse of this Jesus today. Hey, we get a glimpse because it's only through seeing this Jesus are we able to give our idols over. If you don't see Jesus like this, you always think stuff is better. And you'll chase it. And in the end, it leads to death. Can we worship this Jesus? 
Do you long for this Jesus? Because only in this Jesus will hope come. And he's absolutely worthy. Amen. Let's pray to this Jesus now. Oh, my King. My God, I ask you right now. That so many of us have been chasing idols. So many of us have been chasing dreams, putting our hope. And so many other things besides you. Jesus, today, I ask that if the people here feel like they're beaten, feel like they're broken, feel like today they walked in here and said that I'm about to throw in the towel. They're exiled. They look at their situation. There's no hope. Jesus, today I pray that you would reveal to our hearts how much we need to see you, how much we need your hand in our shoulder, how much we need the King of kings, the ruler of everything to come and meet us right here where we're at. Jesus, I ask that through your Holy Spirit, revealing to us the truth that you are risen, that you're alive, that we would right now in this moment take our idols, things that we chase other than you, and give them over to you and ask you, will you crush them? To take our sin, that longing of self. Jesus, today may we give our sin to you, God. All of our struggles. Because your word says that on the cross, your blood covers our sin. And today we can go to you as the one who forgives, the one who loves. Today, Jesus, may we not leave this place without crying out to the depths of our souls. Jesus, I need you. Lord, I need you. need you.